0: Welcome to the weekly sermon from Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Hale. We're in part three of our series, Overcoming Every Day. Overcoming Every Day. We're learning how to win the battle of the mind that you and I are engaged in Every single day of our life, whether we realize it or not, we are all in a battle. And today, I want to talk about a really well-known passage of Scripture. It's a passage that a lot of people know about. If you have your Bibles, you can go up to Ephesians chapter 6. This is a classic passage about resisting the evil one, that cosmic thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy I'm going to tell you, we're going to cover a lot of ground today in a short span of time, hopefully short. We could take a series to go through each of these, these uh, little things here, but we're just going to eat the whole elephant today in about 45 minutes. So God willing. So hang on tight. It'll be fairly intense. I encourage you to take notes or don't. You're a grown up. Let's dive right in. The Apostle Paul says this, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of of his might. Now notice what he says here. And the power of whose might? God. This is God. The his is God, right? That's the battle we're fighting here is not to be fought under our own power. It is fought through his power. That's when we are strongest. And and here's how that power is made manifest. He says, put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor. Don't leave any of the pieces off that we're going to talk about here. Why? So that you may be able to stand. To stand is this Greek word stenai, And it has a kind of a military sense to it of being watchful. We're going to see all of the pieces of this armor that we're going to look at. All of them but one are defensive in nature. And so this is about, this is really about standing your ground. This isn't like storming the castle. This is about standing your ground. Against what? The wiles. Of the devil, we don't use the word wiles very much uh, anymore. But the Greek word here is this word methodia, and it's uh, it, where we get the word method from. So it's this this idea of of the schemes of the devil, the methods, the the strategies that he devises against us, kind of like wily coyote, right? He's always coming up with with another scheme. That's the devil. He's wily Satan, and and notice what we're defending against. It is the wiles. It is the schemes of the devil. It's not the overwhelming, unstoppable onslaught of this all-powerful army of darkness. It's the schemer. It's the liar. That's what we're coming up against. What's he say next? For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh. That's kind of an Aramaic euphemism, just means human beings. They would just use that term, blood and flesh. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. Look how Paul describes this world that we live in, right? It's not a picnic. It's a war zone. This present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, he's, he's making... He's painting a very clear picture here. These titles uh, would be a little more familiar to people if you lived in the year nothing like they did. You know, that first century. Uh, But they refer to rulers and authorities and cosmic forces and the like. We don't have time to really go into it all right now. But there's at least 13 of these in the New Testament. We know from... The, that first century, that second temple Jewish literature of the time, they refer to different categories of cosmic agents. Um, it's a fascinating subject. Uh, these aren't just your run of a mill angels. The word angel just means me- messenger, really. That's what the, the literal word back then meant, a messenger. It's not just the little angels. These are like archangels. Um, these are like the, the high-ranking cosmic powers. One of the words they use is archons. We talked about that last week. These archons, these these rulers, they've been allowed ter- territorial rule uh, in the earth. And there's this whole hierarchy in, in first century Jewish literature. It's fascinating. And that would have been the, uh, the literature and the worldview that Paul, who's writing, who's just, he's baked into this. He, he, this is the way he's, he's seeing this and communicating this. And that these, these spiritual forces are given uh, uh, authority over aspects of, of nature and human civilization. But when they rebelled against God, now they use this authority in a corrupt way. And so they to have a damaging influence on on uh, nature and human society. now what's interesting, like i said, it, it's a fascinating subject, but what paul it, I find it interesting, he doesn't really show any interest in going into all the details of job descriptions. He doesn't tell us what all of these little spirits and these little categories of of demons and unclean spirits, what they're all doing there's no rankings and all this kind of thing. And so what I would say, just as, as a friend and as a pastor, I, I would uh, encourage you not to get too absorbed into speculation about this, this kind of thing, um, about this stuff, because you can get into some really weirdness, okay? You can. It's enough for us to know that this is our real enemy. This is our enemy, and that we are to live aware of their reality we're to know they're there, to resist their their this perpetual uh, destructive influence that they have. This cosmic power is out there. The chief one being the devil, and uh, who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so we're to live in resistance to them. This um, uh, I, I think this also reveals another danger for us in. Either ignoring or choosing not to believe in the reality of Satan and these spiritual powers. We talked about the dangers, some of the dangers last week, but another one of these dangers is because what can happen is if we ignore or disbelieve in these spiritual powers that he's saying right here, what can easily happen is we begin to think that it's other human beings, blood and flesh, that are our enemies, right? Who else is the enemy of the enemy if you don't believe in the devil? It's other human beings. And, and when we aren't aware of our true enemy, what happens is well, we begin to direct that fighter instinct that we are all born with against other human beings. And that just comes naturally, doesn't it? That's, that's, it's an enticing, oh gosh, it's so seductive to just direct that fighter instinct against other human beings instead of fighting that spiritual battle that we are called to fight. And in the end... Whether we're, we're fighting the powers as our real enemy or we're being played by the powers who deceive us into thinking that, that what happens is that we, we get played by those powers. They deceive us into thinking that the people that we're called to, to rescue, the people that we're called to bless, that we believe that it's our goal to fight, fight them. What Paul is telling us is that if it's got flesh and blood, it's not our enemy. If it's got flesh and blood, it's not someone we're supposed to be fighting against. It's someone we're supposed to be fighting for. As the church, we are different. We just are different, right? Those are the people we fight for. And we do that by refusing to ever not love them. We have to actively refuse to not ever love them. They they may hate us. They may try to harm us. um, But we have to refuse to respond with anything but love. And in doing that, that's when we are fighting. We are waging the war against the true enemy, right? He is being defeated when you refuse to respond in anything but love. Amen? Uh, amen. Um, when, we, when we get this wrong, and I don't, I, I'd like to go further into that. I think I may go into this next week some, some more uh, so we can move on. But let me just say this. When we get this wrong, we turn what is, supposed to, what is meant to be a spiritual war into a religious war. And that is miles apart. Miles differently, we turn our spiritual war into a religious war. If you're a kingdom person, which we—that's what we're saying we are—is what we claim to be here, at generations. You are called to resist the temptation to to punish uh, those who are deceived by our true enemy. We stand against the deceiver. We stand against forces of deception. It's not people. It's a different kind of kingdom we put on display, isn't it? It doesn't come naturally. I I know. I get it. It's a different kind of kingdom. It's a different kind of love. It's a different kind of warfare. So don't be played by the powers. Don't be played by them. Lock this in. If it's got flesh and blood, it's not your enemy. Now, I know. If it was easy, it it wouldn't be supernatural. But it is, right? It's supernatural. That's why God gives us supernatural weapons. That's what we're going to learn about here. Okay, then Paul goes on, verse 13, therefore, therefore, in light of the fact that we're in this spiritual battle going on, you know, due to the fact that the war, the, the world is in a war zone, uh, and in light of the reality of this present darkness, you got to dress appropriately and here's what he says, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, that evil day he's referring to was his own day and it's our day, it's every day is the evil day. Withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Then, verse 14. So stand and fasten. Here's our first article of clothing. The belt of truth around your waist. Now notice, he, there's this derivative of the word stand three times in here. Stand. That first one, withstand. It's like, here comes the onslaught. We're going to withstand it. You're going to survive it. But then that next, those next two, he says the word stand there twice in a row. And they're both this defensive posture. And it's, it's about establishing yourself. It's about remaining, right? Enduring. That's what we're talking about. This is, this is a, a stance, a posture of endurance here. And he says, he says, fasten the belt of truth around Your waist. Uh, The literal here is, is tie truth around your waist. The translator just added the word belt to be helpful. Uh, But throughout this whole passage, Paul is using the imagery of a Roman soldier. And the belt of a Roman soldier, the primary function is to hold everything together. Hold all of this together. It surrounded the whole body, the belt did. And this belt of truth is foundational. That's why, why this is the truth part, right? It is foundational for everything else. It holds everything together, because what we're up against, as we've been talking for the last several weeks, is deception. Deception. The devil has got one tool in his toolbox, right? And that is deception. Now he uses it in a million different ingenious ways, but it all comes back to the same thing. And the only antidote to deception is truth, which we surround ourselves. We surround ourselves with truth. And the truth he's talking about is revealed most fully in the person of Jesus Christ and and especially in Christ crucified. Jesus Christ crucified because in that right there we learn the truth about who God is and, and the truth about who he says you are in Jesus Christ crucified. So don't leave the house in the morning without having put on this belt of truth about who God is. Among all the deceptive pictures of God that the enemy tries to throw at you, uh, all those mean, vengeful pictures uh, that betray your relationship with God. Uh, Against all of that, we can see the truth of God fully revealed in Christ. That is who he is, and that is what he thinks about you. Christ crucified, that God is love. He is love. He is love. He is perfect. He is unconquerable, uncontainable, unwavering, unfathomable love. Just saturate your brain with that truth. Amen? Always have on you that truth that God is good. He is all good all the time. He's never against you. He's always for you. He is always on your side, however things may appear. Whatever else is going on, you lock that truth in and don't go out of the house without that that truth of who you are. You make that part of of the belt that you wear against all the deceptive and the lying and the terrible, arrogant, shameful things that he tries to throw at you about who you are to believe about yourself. You wear the truth that you are one for whom Jesus Christ died. Right there, you are loved with a perfect, everlasting love. You arm yourself. You wrap yourself in that truth before you leave the house in the morning. You're surrounded by his love 24-7. And you don't have to talk him into loving you. He doesn't love you a little less when you're bad and love you a little more when you're good. He just loves you. And when the enemy comes after you and accuses you, you remind yourself of the truth that you are holy and blameless in Christ. That is what scripture says. When the enemy says you're all on your own, you remind him, you remind yourself of that truth that you are never alone because the spirit of Christ dwells within you. Amen. And he will never leave you or forsake you. That is what this what the scriptures tell us. And when the enemy tries to get you anxious and terrified, you remind him of the truth that perfect love casts out fear. That's what the scriptures tell us. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen. Amen? And, and when the enemy tries to get you to believe that you are weak, and that you can't accomplish anything, you remind him of the truth, that in Christ you can do anything, all things, and you can endure all things, and you are more than a conqueror in Christ. Amen? You gird yourself with that truth. You gird yourself with that truth. Because that's what protects you from the lies of the enemy. And that's what he's going to come at you. And then Paul says this, And put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is righteousness. When people think about uh, Righteousness today, when, when I think about righteousness, we tend to think about some, someone who is holy, right? Someone who is very ethical or very moral, right? They're a very righteous uh, person. And it certainly has that component to it. Uh, but the biblical concept of righteousness is, is more than that. It's, it's much more covenantal. And it has to do with our relationships. Relationships. To be righteous is literally, to be right-related. To be right-related. We're right-related with God, to God, and right-related to other people. That is to be people of righteousness. And so, when you read righteousness in the Bible, you just replace that word with right-relatedness. Right-relatedness. And that really makes a difference. And so, uh, we're to put on this breastplate Of righteousness. So, on one level, the the breastplate of of righteousness is, is simply Jesus Christ. It goes back to Jesus. Because our right relatedness with God and with others in the whole of creation was accomplished on Calvary. That's what makes it possible. And our job as disciples is then to to manifest that truth by actively cultivating uh, right relationships with other people. To manifest what Christ has already accomplished. We're just putting it out there. That's discipleship in a nutshell. To to putting on display what is already true uh, by virtue of Jesus Christ's death on the cross. But Paul associates it with the breastplate. And the breastplate on a soldier, you know, it protects the soldier's vital organs especially their heart. And uh, so Paul is saying, now that you put on the belt of truth and you're walking in truth about who God is and who you are, uh, and now guard your right relatedness. Make sure that you value and you guard your relationships with God. Make sure you don't ever take that for granted. Never take your relationship with God for granted. Kind of like we were just saying after worship today. We don't want to take for granted this amazing honor he has given us to get to come to him and to speak to him as as his children to get to come into his presence and to to make ourselves aware of his presence that is that is always there right so we want to guard that relationship don't get casual with that don't kind of coast on that like yeah god's there so i'll just go to him when i need it no no don't you have don't forget what we talked about a couple weeks ago you have this ever present cosmic thief who's here on the earth for one purpose to steal, kill, and destroy you. And he wants to destroy that relationship that you have with God. So, invest in that relationship through prayer, through meditation on what he's speaking and who he is, and take time to just bask in his love for you. Um, Because that will rekindle your love for him as well. You got to take time to be with him. When you love somebody, you know, you spend time with them, right? You spend time with people you love. So, spend time daily with God recognize that he's always with you. Whether you're here at church or you're at the grocery store or the restaurant or at work or in the car, He is always with you. So guard that precious relationship you have with God. Then Paul, let's move on. Paul says this in verse 15, as shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. I find it kind of a fascinating paradox. I was telling a friend this week, this gospel of peace, in the midst of all this military imagery, right? But it's because it's a different fight that we're fighting, isn't it? It's a different fight that we're fighting. The the word gospel means good news, and the peace that Paul is talking about, it's not just like a personal peace, like oh, I feel peaceful right now. It's not, it might include that, but it's not just that. It's not just also the absence of conflict. That's kind of what the world usually means by peace. You know, when they say we need peace in the Middle East, they don't mean we need everybody in the Middle East to love each other. They just mean we need people to, you know, stop blowing themselves up. Um, That's what they mean. They're looking for people to just stop killing themselves. But the peace that Paul is talking about is not that. It's this biblical concept of peace. We've talked about it before, and you know about it. It's that concept of shalom. That shalom refers to the all-encompassing harmony of God himself that he wants to share with all of creation. And the good news is that God has unleashed that shalom into this world, and he did it through Jesus Christ. He says this, and Paul says this over in Colossians chapter 1. He said, for in him, he's talking about Jesus there, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things whether on heaven or in, on earth or in heaven, by making peace, is that word shalom right there, through the blood of the cross. The truth is that on the cross, Jesus' death changed everything, right? To be a Christ follower today is to believe that that's really true, right? Uh, We can't get into the theological mechanics all right now, but there's a whole new creation, because of the cross, the old things have passed away and all things have become new, right? And God has reconciled all things to himself. We believe something revolutionary and miraculous happened on the cross. That's why he tells us in, in 2 Corinthians 5 that, about this new creation. He calls us new creation. God's not holding anyone's sin against them. All things have been reconciled to God. Therefore, all things have become reconciled to each other, right? God's perfect all-encompassing harmony has been unleashed into this world, and you and I are a part of that, right? That's where the church comes in, because we, of course, don't see this right now. If you turn on the news or you just walk outside, you don't see this. The world is still under this cloud of deception, uh, this present darkness, but it doesn't change the truth that this is what the cross accomplished. It changed everything. It reconciled everything, It remains true even though it's not yet fully manifested, right? That's what we kind of call this, the the already but not yet kingdom. It's already, but it's not yet fully manifested. And those of us who believe that good news we are called to be Christ's ambassadors. That's why we're ambassadors. We get to go out. We have this honor and privilege of proclaiming this good news in this world that we are in, but not of, in this community that we are in, but not of. And so we get to go out and proclaim this good news. Paul says that he calls us ambassadors in, in 2 Corinthians 5. That So we're like God's billboard, his billboard. And so it's our honor and our privilege To be proclaiming this good news of the peace, we get to say, "World, guess what? Two thousand years ago, everything changed through Jesus Christ. Everything changed. You've been changed. You've been reconciled to God." We get to tell people that you've been changed. God has a claim on your life. He's not holding your sin against you. He's embracing you right now. Will you accept that? Right. And so we're inviting people into this beautiful kingdom. It's our honor and our privilege to be bearers of this good news. Paul associates this with shoes because he's saying wherever you go, be prepared. Be prepared to proclaim the good news. We're told that in more than one place in Scripture. To be prepared. Always be prepared, right? To, to tell, to testify. When an opportunity presents itself, you know, we, we're, we don't want to be a jerk and force it down people's throats. It's not what we're called to do. But we're always looking for opportunities to proclaim it proclaim this good news. That's why Paul, I think, uses shoes here, and it's not the the chair of the gospel, because we don't just sit back and wait for people to come to us. We're wearing shoes. We take it. We take it out there. We take it to them. And then number four, Paul says this in verse 16, with all these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The shield of faith. Uh, There's kind of two different words, <clears throat> Paul could have used for shield here. One's kind of like a smaller shield. These little round shields that the soldiers would use, kind of like Captain America's shield, you know. Uh, and Then one was like a big one. It was like the size of a little door. Uh, these big shields, they were like four feet long. Um, and <clears throat> And uh, we'll talk about that in a second. To understand this shield, we need to understand what faith is, though. Uh, what faith is about, and a lot of people have pretty screwy ideas about faith. Um, you guys have it all figured out, right? Because you go to a faith church, I know. But I'm just, you know, not for you, but for the, you know, the person sitting next to you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna explain a little bit here today. Um, we've talked a lot about this over the last couple years, but so I'm just gonna do a quick brief review. This is very important though. Very quick, very brief, so buckle up. Here we go. Hebrews 11 says this in verse 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The writer here is saying that faith is this mental image of things that you hope for, the things that you believe to be true. It's seeing in your mind. Seeing in your imagination. You envision that reality. You envision it. And as that image comes into your mind, it becomes more and more vivid. It creates in you this conviction that it is so. It's, it's a conviction that gets down in your heart right? And, and, and in fact, this is one of the ways that we as human beings are hardwired. We're wired to whether you're religious or not. My beautiful late grandmother, Gloria Autry, she said something to me years ago that I love. She said, faith's just a universal law that God set in motion. She always, she told me that, that faith's just a universal law. Whether you're a Christian or not, Like, faith works, she says. It's just a universal law. And i gradually got to understand more what she was saying. That the more vividly you imagine anything, the more it moves you, the more it impacts you, the deeper your conviction about it becomes. And so faith is taking that truth, it's envisioning it in concrete, vivid ways, which it then sort of inclines us to want it. And we are inclined to walk in it, right? Faith is trusting in Jesus. It's trusting in a person, and that person is Jesus. So faith isn't just the absence of doubt. That's important. Faith isn't the absence of doubt, but faith is rather choosing to walk in a particular way in the midst of doubt, even in the midst of doubt. And what motivates us is that we're, we're envisioning what we believe to be true, what we anticipate to be true, as though it were true, and that drives us forward in that direction. So there's a, it's interesting, there's, a, there's an imaginative Uh, component to our faith. It really goes back to this passage we've been looking at every week. Um, Let's see here. Uh, Go to that next scripture, guys. I kind of lost my slides here. Um, We looked at last week, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 10, that part of our job as disciples is to destroy in our brain every logismos, right? That's those mental arguments. And every hoopsoma, that's those mental images that conflicts with the knowledge of God. And thereby take every thought captive to obey Christ. Right? Now, getting back to those shields. This is an interesting fact I was looking into. The Roman soldiers would take these long shields. These four foot long shields. And they were made of wood. And then they would wrap them in leather. So they had layers of leather on them. And then they would soak the leather in water. To protect themselves if the enemy shot flaming arrows at him, which was like a thing back then. That's the thing you had to go into battle prepared against. So you had this shield of leather soaked in water. Now, you can imagine how heavy that would be, right? I mean, these guys had some biceps, I'm thinking. So, so when we when we we, we we soak ourselves in faith, right? We soak ourselves in that, it's that vivid picture of what God has promised. We're just soaking ourselves in that picture of what God has promised, those promises of God. And that has the power to put out those flaming arrows of the enemy, those deceptive arrows that try to get us uh, to believe wrong things and live in false ways. Here's another interesting fact. These shields were so heavy, um, they were most effective When the soldiers would work together as a unit, right? You didn't just charge off by yourself with, you know, with this big heavy shield. These were for working as a unit. And so the the legionnaires would get together and they'd get in a line. And uh, when they would close ranks and when those, when it was getting time, they could tell those arrows were coming. The first row would lock their shields together. They would even overlap, And they would lock their shields together to form this wall. And then the row behind them would put their shields on top of that row. And the row behind them would put their shields on top of that row. And they would form in the Latin, it was called the turtle. I thought that was funny. The turtle. And it formed this basically impenetrable field, force field, uh, around them that could not be uh, penetrated by flaming arrows or swords or rocks or anything that was that was thrown against them. And that tells me, of course, that we've got to be doing all of this in community. We've got to be watching each other's back, right? This is not about just you and me going out there like, like Lone Ranger trying to fight the devil all by yourself. This is about us being together in community. I could expound on that, but I got to keep going. Then Paul says this uh, in verse 17. Thank you. Verse 17, he says, take the helmet of salvation. This helmet of salvation It's primarily about guarding the mind because that's largely where the battle is waged. Am I right? Paul says that our mind is protected, is guarded because, I I love that this is where he uses salvation. This is, it's protected because we've been bought with a price. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross and securing our salvation. That means we no longer have to be a slave to our thoughts We don't have to be a slave to our addictions, to every little thing that our mind wants to wander to. We don't have to be a slave to our neuroses, our temptations, our phobias, all those things. We get to take those thoughts captive, like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, and and be victorious in this battle of the mind. And it's not because we are just like super intelligent or like we went and got a bunch of degrees or we have more willpower than the world does. This is not under our power. Remember, it's in his power right? It's not because we have great mental dexterity and education or anything. To win this battle of the mind is because we have been saved through Jesus Christ. And so we have access to the mind of Christ. We have access to his mind. See, for Paul, salvation, it really wasn't just about, or even primarily about, going to heaven when you die. When we think of salvation, that's kind of the first thing we do as kind of 21st century Christians. We think of, oh, I get to go to heaven when I die. The biblical concept of salvation talks very little about that, actually. It has to do with our whole relationship with God, starting right now. Our whole relationship, our life transforming. It's kind of like a marriage-like relationship that we have with God in Jesus Christ and that's why the Bible talks about salvation in three sentences. It says that we have been saved, but that we are still being saved. And it says that we shall be saved. Different scriptures use past, present, and future in this, this salvation. And that's because we're growing in this relationship. And we're continuing to grow in this relationship. And our, as we do that, our mind and our life is lining up with the truth about, about this relationship we have. That is salvation. So we want to guard the mind. Be attentive to what's going on between the ears here. And then, and then finally, Paul says this, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's interesting, I I don't have a whole lot of time to go into it right now, but I I just want to point out, the word for word here is not the typical word, it's actually a very um, rare word used in Scripture here for the word word. most often when you see the Word, like the, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God, and he, you know, we're talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Word. And sometimes Scripture is uh, called the Word of God. Different things. Uh, God's declaration of truth, of salvation for all men, this kind of thing. The Word. That Word is logos. And it's, it means the written, uh, established, embodied Word. <laughs> right. That's the Word. This is a different word for word. It is the word rhema. And rhema is unusual in scripture. Rhema means the spoken word. They had a different word for this. It was the spoken word. So it's specifically the words that are spoken out loud. This This is the words that God proclaims out loud. And so Paul reminds us of the importance of not just thinking the right thoughts and believing the right things and I'm on the team because I signed this and I think the right stuff. I, you know, or even I go through the right motions, you know, I'm doing the right stuff. I'm showing up here on Sunday morning. It's not just that. It is declaring the out loud the truth. Now, I can't explain it, but the Bible says it's true, so I'm going to believe it. That there is, there is a power in the spoken word. Think about how Jesus who, you know, we're supposed to emulate. How did Jesus respond to those temptations he went through in the desert? There was a time when he was in the desert. He was fasting for all these days and that Satan came to him and started giving him these little temptations. and You know, the famous three temptations. After every single temptation of the devil, Jesus said out loud, it is written, it is written. And he speaks the scriptures. He would speak them out loud. He didn't just think, I think it's written, that's written, hmm, that's interesting. Now, because there's a power, right, in the spoken word. There really is a power in speaking out loud. Because when you, what you're doing is you're putting back out there in the airways the, the truth that the creator of the universe has declared since the dawn of time. You're saying that out loud and you're declaring, this isn't just by my authority. I'm not just thinking wishful thinking. I'm just thinking my own clever ideas here. No, no, no. This is the word of the creator that I am speaking out. And that creator is truth and he only speaks truth so we are speaking those words out into the universe. And when your words hold that kind of authority, then that word becomes a sword. It can completely slay the lies of the enemy. It can demolish deception. And because it, it's not about your authority. It's about standing in God's authority. Amen? It's about standing in God's authority. So this means that you got to actually go and read the Bible. You got to know what your Bible says to declare this word out loud. Right? Okay. Discover what God says. Rehearse what that truth is. Otherwise, you're just saying things out loud that you kind of hope are true, that you just wish were true. But when we declare scripture, then we're saying things that God has declared true, right? We listed a bunch of these truths uh, last week, uh, the right here uh, in in our message. And uh, several of you asked for even a copy uh, of these things. Johnny's printed up uh, a copy of these. Uh, they put them on the front of this month's prayer calendar. I hope you're all getting, each month, she puts out a brilliant prayer calendar uh, that can take you through every day of the month. And they're out there in the foyer. Um, and so this month has some of these listed on the front. So you can go pick one up in the foyer before you leave. But memorize this stuff. Get this stuff inside you. This is about who you are. This is about your identity, right? Make this this is what your yapping brain chats about all day, right? If your brain's like mine, it's always yapping. So make it, yap about this. Make it say this instead of the, you know, the, all the lies and deceptions and distractions of this world. When you're feeling that temptation to, to think or to live in a way that's contradictory to your salvation, that's inconsistent with your identity in Christ. When you're, when you're tempted to think of those things, what you need to come back with is it is written, right? It doesn't matter if you feel it or not. It didn't say make sure you feel it. It said speak it, right? It is written. When you're tempted with, with lust, or you're tempted with fear of oh, what's happening in the world around us, or you're tempted with those thoughts. When you're tempted with those things, they're coming from the deceiver. Identify them. When you're tempted with hopelessness, like, oh, there's no, no use. Identify those thoughts. Remember, not every thought you have is your own. Once we recognize that, not every thought you have is your own. Hey, this might not be my very own thought. I better come against this thing. Right? This may be coming from something else. You identify it as coming from the deceiver. Right? He's trying to direct your movie. So fire him. Get him out of there. Hire a new director for the movie. Let, and let Jesus write the story of your life. Right? And he writes it with kingdom truth. And that is ultimate truth. Right? Say, it is written, devil. It is written, devil. Right? My name is Nogomotoya. You are the liar and the deceiver. Prepare to die. Right? This... All right, friends, this is what we're supposed to wear day in, day out. This is it, right? Suit up. Suit up every day. Don't say, well, it's Monday. That's my Sabbath. I don't have to suit up today. (laughs) Monday's when I take my day off. Uh, No, no, no. I got to suit up on Monday too, right? Suit up on Monday because the devil's not taking a break. He never rests. He never rests. You suit up. Always be ready. Put out those flaming arrows of the enemy. As we leave this place, I want you to remember this. You are going out into a war zone. Right? You might be thinking about the barbecue or the taco or whatever it is you're fixing to head to. You're going out into a war zone though. Don't forget about that. And the war, the battle you're fighting is not against those people out there who are doing that thing that you don't like. It's not against those people. It's the spirit of deception in the world. You're fighting on behalf of those people. Right? Those are the people you're called to rescue. Amen? It's It's this present darkness out there. Most of the world doesn't see it. Most of the world doesn't see it. But believe me, they're suffering from it. They're victims just the same. They are suffering. They don't even know why they're suffering. They just call it the human condition. We even came up with a phrase for that in philosophy. It's the human condition. But there is a reason for it. It's because of the spirits of deception out there. And so make sure that you're dressed appropriately with the whole armor of God, ready to do battle, but as soldiers of peace, as soldiers of love. We're a reflection of God's love. We're image bearers of the God who is love. We are ambassadors for a kingdom. Ambassadors for a kingdom. You're an ambassador. You live with a mission. Know that every single day, that you live with a purpose that's bigger than ourselves. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than your job. It's good to have a job, but you live for a purpose that's even bigger than that job, right? We live in an awareness that God is up to something in this world. We have an incredible honor of getting to be a part of it. We can ask him every morning, God, what are you up to today in my life? And not just me, it's not just about me, but what are you going to be up to in my community, in the circles that I'm going to run with and that I'm going to cross paths with? Let me be a part of it. Use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. Let me be an instrument of your love and your peace today, right? We have a role to play, and it's not just for our sakes. It's not even just for our, our, our family's sakes. It's for our friends and our community. We're called to stand in the gap for the world. We are called. I know some people who, who um, are hesitant to really sell out for Christ. I remember being this way for years. I can't, you know, I don't want to sell out for Christ because that sounds... I don't want to be too passionate for Jesus, Right? That just sounds kind of—it sounds exhausting to be too right. I mean, to be too—you don't want to be too much. That's like, you don't want to get weird, right? I don't. I don't. It's going to be too costly. I'm going to have to evolve a whole bunch of stuff in my life. I'm going to have to adjust all my priorities, all my values, how I spend my money, ah, my values. It sounds costly. It sounds exhausting. The truth is, it is too costly not to be sold out to Christ. Amen. It's too costly, right? That is what is costing people everything. Amen. To, to keep living as a victim to the devil and his deception is exhausting. Amen. And worse, it's deadly. Right. Now, so we get to bring the world some good news. But that fullness of life that Christ promises us, that fullness comes when you're on the front lines, right? It's not like the world. You want to be on the front lines. Being on the front lines is is where the blessing is. It's where the protection is, right? That's where the wall of the turtle is happening, right? You want to be up there. All the good stuff in the kingdom comes when you're on the front line, when you're surrounded with truth. You're walking in that truth side by side with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's where... That's where the good life is, standing firm with a purpose. That is the best place to be. That is the blessed place to be. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for, for speaking this truth to us today, Lord. I, I thank you that you would open up our hearts to just absorb the word taught this morning, that we would all be good ground Lord, for this truth to take root in us. Help us to be good seed. Help it to grow like crazy in our hearts today, Lord God. Infuse uh, this this word with your authority, Lord God. Let it do things that, that my words alone can't ever do. Thank you, Lord God, for building your kingdom in our life. Set us free. Set us free from ourselves. Lord, we plead with you. Thank you that you free us from the worst parts of us and fill us with you. free free us from the deception of the enemy Lord God because not every thought we have is even our own God let your love just cast out all fear in our hearts and let our fear just be drowned in the truth of who you are and the truth of who we are help us to know that Lord God and God we ask Lord that you use this message to help us uh, to avoid getting distracted by all the noise and the conflicts that this world is waging all the time. Equip us, Lord God, to be soldiers in the spiritual war, not the religious war, but the spiritual war, to stand against the deceptions of the devil on behalf of others, all the people that you love. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. Our prayer partners are coming down front right now. If there's anything we can pray for you about, anything going on in your life, we'd love to stand with you in faith and pray with you about those things. Just come on down and let them pray with you. You can also send us your prayer requests online or using the church app or email them to us. We would love to pray. We've got a whole prayer chain of folks who just love to get those things and, and, and go, to, go to prayer war right then, right when they receive them. So let us know what's going on in your life. Amen. Um, Hallelujah. Will you stand to your feet with me this morning? Let me bless you. Hallelujah. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance and pour his favor out in buckets into your life this week. Amen. Grace and peace, folks. Bye-bye.